Welcome in. It is the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. He's Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer, and we're going to discuss in this episode, most of it, the five biggest questions facing the Astros ahead of the 60-game season. But we'll start there real quick. Uh, Jake, I mean, who knows what these next two months are going to look like, but at least as of now, we have a 60-game season that's going to start for the Astros on either July 23rd or July 24th. Yeah, uh, I was actually just looking a few minutes ago. This is only our fifth episode that wasn't during a quarantine or (laughs) sports shutdown uh, so we're happy to be talking about, you know, hopefully a actual season. Uh, if you've listened to the pod, you know, I'm probably more on the skeptical side that this is going to actually be successful the, throughout the whole year, but uh, hoping for the best. Um, yeah, it, it was good to finally have some, you know, the, the bickering and the public leaking of, of emails is over and we can move on to from negotiations of what was it, 88 days to actual <laughs> talking about rosters and which teams set up the best and and that kind of stuff and hopefully uh, hopefully it works out for baseball. This is no longer Jake a labor negotiation podcast. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Evan Drellick, you're not coming back on the pod. It was like it was like a month of just breaking down two <laughs> sides talking, which I kind of enjoy for a while. But again, even for me, that kind of gets old after a while. So we've got 60 games, hopefully. So the only thing we can do is assume these 60 games are going to be played and discuss and analyze as such. So the five biggest questions facing the Astros ahead of a 60 game season Jake, this is something that you wrote about, and I think it was a good idea for our episode today. Number one, is everybody healthy? I think one angle is obviously COVID-19. I would think, just based on what we've seen across baseball, that the Astros might have one or two guys test positive for COVID-19. Obviously, that's a weird thing to discuss, but, I mean, that's going to be the initial part of this whole thing is showing up to spring training, these guys getting tested, so that's one angle. But also, the baseball angle of Justin Verlander, when the shutdown when the shutdown began, was having issues with his groin. He had surgery during this time. It seems like he's good to go. Uh, and then you also have Jordan Alvarez, who was struggling with some knee issues during spring training before things shut down. Yeah, I think it's like you almost start from a blank slate with this um, because these these trainers and medical staff have not been in the same room as a player since what March. 11th March 12th I mean I guess there was a few guys in West Palm Beach maybe that I don't know if even know if the trainers were down there maybe they were for part of it but I think you have to like reassess everyone from scratch because like it's really up to like what were individual guys doing are they in shape Um, you're really asking like it's really a a test of like who has who has the best work ethic in a lot of ways right like Mm -hmm. who kept themselves going um and then, you know, the short ramp up, only three weeks to, to get ready for the season. Um, you know, I, I assume around the game, we're going to see new injuries crop up. So uh, the is everyone healthy question is kind of like a really hard one to predict, especially with the, the coronavirus uh, component. Um, and it's probably going to evolve throughout the next few weeks and even during the yep. season. Um, I think it's going to be really just really hard to forecast which teams are are healthy and which aren't um, a month from now. 
Real quick with, with Verlander. So, Jake, the latest with him is he's throwing off the, the mound. I've seen a video or two. He looks good, but I'm obviously not a pitching coach. I'm not watching him, you know, pitching a, pitching a simulated game. But it seems like the feeling that spring training begins, Verlander is ready to go out there and throw, right? I mean, he posted on Instagram last week a, a video of him throwing off the mound. Um, so, clearly, he's throwing off a mound. I mean, I... It's uh, he had the groin surgery in March. He also had the lat injury, which we kind of forget about before that. Um, yep. So it looks, yeah, he seems good to go. But, um, you know, I think there's also a big difference between throwing off a mound at home and pitching in real games that with with high intensity. Um, and as far as Alvarez goes, like, you know, I, I think we're, we'll, we'll it's hard to know until like he gets in the building and the Astros can like, and he also also like ramps up activity. Like it's not like he was doing nothing even when he was struggling in spring training, like he was still participating in stuff. So like it, it might take, you know, actual games before you can tell what his status is. Do you get the sense, this is a little bit random, but it's on this topic that not that AJ Hinch was, uh, was evasive necessarily about injuries. I always felt like AJ spoke relatively frankly, but I, I feel like with Dusty Baker, you get like, if you're kind of reading between the lines and sometimes he'll like just come out and say different things that he's concerned about. Do you think that there'll be an, e how should I put this? I think there might be an easier way to decipher Dusty Baker on injuries. I think that's going to be an interesting angle. What do you think? Maybe. I, I think it's, I haven't, I've covered Dusty for such a short period of time that it's hard for me to really know what it's going to be like in that, in that regard. Um, but it's possible. I mean, every manager is kind of different with how they reveal stuff. And a lot of it, I think, is dictated by the front office and what the front office wants out there, what the player wants out there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's possible, but um, like like Dusty was a little bit more revealing on the on the Alvarez knee issue in real time uh, during spring training than we were uh, let on last year, I would say. But at the same time, it, like I said, I, I, I've barely covered Dusty Baker at this point, so it's, it's hard for me to really know what it's going to be like um, from that standpoint. So the first big question, is everybody healthy, obviously from a COVID-19 standpoint, and hopefully the news is good with Verlander and Alvarez as they restart here in about a week or so. Number two, who makes up the rotation? So, Jake, we know the one, two, three, Verlander, Granke, McCullers, who Dusty Baker, by the way, said on Wednesday, he felt like was the guy who was uh, basically most sort of ready to go, uh, mo most advanced, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, and then... Do you think, so I think we're good, we're good, at least you and I, obviously, the one, two, three is known. That's what it's going to be, minus injuries, Verlander, Granky, McCullers. Are we still thinking the four, five is likely what we were thinking towards the middle of March before the shutdown, that it's going to be Jose Urquidy and Josh James? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because we, we don't have any new information, you know, um, so I feel like we can only project based off the information we have and, and at the end of spring training part one, it, it's, it was definitely Arkady and, and James looked like the heavy front runner for the fifth spot. Um, but who knows? Maybe, maybe one of them comes out and pitches terribly in this three week spring training. Um, it's, it's, there's so much unknown, but yeah, I would say those two guys are the favorites coming into this, this spring training part two. What do you want to call it by the way? Summer, summer training. What, what, what are we, what's our official uh, podcast term on that? So are, are you against spring training 2.0? Does that sound too weird no, to you? No, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. 
I'm fine with that. <laughs> I think it's it's an easiest way to understand it. Um, I think so yes. too. So I think those two guys are the favorites. You know, I think it, we're going to have to think of rotations a little bit differently because these pitchers are probably not going to be able to go more than four innings um, early in the season, and so yes, you know that kind of puts. You know, a, a greater importance on long relievers. And so the types uh, with the Astros who fit that are like Framber Valdez, uh, Austin Pruitt, Brian Abreu. And those guys can all start too. So you could maybe see a scenario where they pop in and, and make spot starts. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how how they configure it outside of the top three. I think you could be flexible and creative with some of those choices. You make a good point about the early part of this shortened season. So starting July 23rd or 24th, even with the horses they have at the top with Verlander and Granke, you know, those first, let's say, two or three turns in the rotation, do you think it's going to be, hey, realistically, these guys can go four or five innings, but we don't want to push it past that because I don't even know what the equivalent would be if the if you, like, transpose, superimpose this start on what a typical spring training is, but this is going to be you know, basically less than a month. So this would almost be like starting a season like in early to mid-March, wherever the starting pitchers are there. That's That seems like where you're picking up from, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about a normal six-week spring training and then a pitcher's first turn or two in a regular season in a, in a 162-game schedule, even then, five innings is probably for the average starter uh, around the max. I mean, Verlander might go six or seven or, or some of those type of guys, Cole. But, you know, the the Colin McHughes and Brad Peacocks of last year, for example, um, weren't going too deep into games their first couple turns through. Um, so, yeah, I think four innings is probably like a, a safe estimate uh, for the first turn. Um, yeah, yeah. But every guy might be slightly different. Some guys might be three innings, you know. Um, so because they're not going mean, to have that, that, they're not going to have much time to get ready. Yeah, when you when you say that, it just makes those games such a crapshoot, right? Because you think about, I mean, obviously we don't even know what the schedule is going to be yet. We know that they're going to play, you know, forty games in the AL West, twenty games against the NL West. But you know, when you tell me, hey. Lance McCullers is starting or Zach Granke starting against, you know, this guy. And then you're and then you have a certain mindset. But if that guy is only going three or four innings, that game is much more of a variable than it would normally be under normal circumstances. Yeah, you just got me thinking about long games now. And we'll take we'll take long <laughs> games over no games. But, you know, might be a lot That's of pitching, true. Might be a lot of pitching changes. Um And remember, you've got every reliever's got to face three batters this season, right? Is that still? I assume that's still in effect. I haven't even I thought believe, about it. I believe. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you've got that going. I I do want to make this point. Uh, tell me if you agree or disagree. I think from a shortened season standpoint, Jake, I think this is the one area where the Astros have benefited the most for two reasons. One, and this is this was just not really predictable at the time, but if there was a full 162, they would have been without Verlander for. You know, a month, two months, maybe three months. Dusty's been kind of vague on that, but it would have hurt him a lot from that standpoint, not having their ace. And number two, the Astros three, four, five. Yes, a lot of optimism for Lance McCullers returning, but I mean, Lance has thrown a a max of you know whatever it is, 120 innings or so at the major league level at the highest end. Now he should be able to be fine with a 60 game season. Plus, they don't have to worry as much about innings, especially with Urquidy and Josh James as well. So I think from two standpoints, 
one, Verlander health, and two, the three through five guys who we think they're going to be. I think the 60-game season, there is a benefit the Astros receive. I'm not saying the overall situation is a benefit because that's a much that's a much deeper analysis that includes a lot of factors. But the pitching, the starting rotation, I think it helps them the most in this one area. Yeah, and theoretically, they could ride those those top three more than they would have exactly. otherwise. Like, I guess we're still waiting to see the schedule, and it's only going to be, what, six off days? So it's not like there's going to be a ton of opportunities to skip your fifth starter. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think I agree with that. And uh, it probably goes the same for, for any team that has, like, a top-heavy rotation, which is mm-hmm. a lot of – probably a lot of teams, right? But I don't think many teams have as good of a 1-2 or a 1-2-3 as the Astros do in their rotation. Um, at the same time, I just think this whole thing is going to be so – wacky and there's going to be pitchers who we've never expected who come out and shove and pitchers who are great every year who struggle because it's such a weird situation who knows what guys have been doing the last three months how their routine has been what their stuff looks like like I just think it's going to be there's going to be so much uh variance in terms of like um how how pitchers specifically look yeah, and to kind of to kind of expand on that, I know there's been a lot of talk nationally, locally about, well, what are people going to think about whoever wins the World Series? Is there an asterisk? Well, you know, there is because it's such a bizarre season. At the same time, I hesitate, Jake, to, to preview what my opinions are going to be, assuming they finish out this season and there is a crown champion, because I want to see what it looks like if it's the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Astros in the mix, and maybe there's like one or two odd teams in the playoffs, then that would probably sit with me a lot easier than if the playoffs were really a mix of of a bunch of random teams and you saw like one of those three teams or maybe even two of them somehow miss the postseason over the 60-game sample. I kind of want to see what this is going to look like. I want to see... like. Even just the games themselves. I know we've seen baseball games with with small crowds before, but seeing what it's going to be like with no fans, I want to see what that's like. I want to see what the standings are like. It's hard for me to to give people a sense of what my opinion will be in, you know, three, four months before I see what this season is actually going to look like. Mike, I'm going to interrupt the conversation really quickly right here so that I can tell our listeners about Dugout Mugs. Dugout Mugs creates 12-ounce mugs out of barrels of baseball bats. They are licensed by MLB, so you can get your favorite team's logo engraved onto the mug. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. I'm ready to put the asterisks on already, so I guess we disagree there. But uh, I I do agree that, like, we'll see how it unfolds. Like, who knows? I mean, I I think we're going to look at this year differently no matter what. Um, But how differently is is the question. Um, And that's what I was – yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yes, how differently. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see, like, who looks good and who looks bad in terms of performance. Like, what if, like – Framber Valdez has been like going really hard during the the quarantine and comes out and it's like an ace and like mm-hmm. Zach Greinke's not <laughs> like it's, there's so much weird <laughs> stuff that could happen um, and I'm mostly joking there but like you know like there there could be stuff like that where you're really banking on like who has worked the hardest during the the shutdown and who's ready to go. So with this pitching staff, you're thinking if everyone stays healthy. 
How many turns of the rotation are we thinking for the regular season? Is it like 11 or 12? I'm not I'm not the best at math. Are you thinking around there? Let's see. I'm going to do calculator on Google. 60 games totally divided by 5. 12. 60 divided by 5 is 12. You're, we're exposing ourselves okay, not as idiots bad. right now. Um, That's fine. So, yeah, so far, we're off to a good start. <laughs> 11 so 11 or 12. Or 12. <laughs> and, yeah, so basically you get, let's say, 12 starts. And let's say, you know, uh, as you mentioned, let's say someone like Framber Valdez uh, all of a sudden, you know, gets a bunch of starts. And in, you know, four to let's say let's say six to seven is really good. That makes a huge impact on this kind of sample size of 60 games. Yeah, I mean, just think about all the small sample things we've seen over the years. Um Remember in 2017, those it was probably like a 12 start stretch that Mike Fires had, where it was like, "Whoa, what is this?" Um, Key or, stretch, yeah. Or like the starts Brad Peacock made that same year. Or I mean, there was there was times in 2018 when Charlie Morton had the best ERA in the AL. Like, there's just different stuff, like in small samples that that comes, and um, I think it's gonna be really really weird. The five. Biggest questions facing the Astros ahead of the 60-game season. Jake, number three, who gets the extra four roster spots on the 30-man? So you're going to have, again, instead of a 26-man roster at the Major League level, it's going to be 30 guys. Uh, it sounds like you think that it's going to be more heavily tilted towards pitchers than hitters as far as who you know James Click and Dusty Baker decide get those extra four spots. Yeah, I mean, if you just think about it, so it's 30 players for the first two weeks, then it drops down to 28 for the next two weeks, then it drops down to 26 a month in, which is 26 was going to be the new normal. So that's really geared towards protecting the pitchers. And I think you probably will see a lot of teams carry a third catcher and three pitchers. Um, That's my prediction for the Astros. I think Garrett Stubbs, uh, has a really good case as a third catcher who can also, you know, pinch run. He can also, you know, play a little bit of the field, probably better suited in, in lopsided games, but um, it, it's an <laughs> option. Um, and then I think you, you three pitchers, just for what we talked about earlier with all those middle innings you need to fill and to protect guys' arms from not, you know, not getting someone hurt right by using them too often, yes. too quickly. Um, so yeah, I, I think three pitchers, it's, it's probably just like Brian Abreu and, and Frember Valdez and Joe Biagini and Cy Snead, like the guys who were on the bubble, um, in, in the regular spring training, just basically everyone makes it. Uh, that's my prediction at least. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wish I had something like way more interesting to add, but just looking at, looking at what the, they're going to have to deal with, especially the first, let's say two to three weeks. Whereas we're mentioning these these starting pitchers are going, let's say, three, four, five innings. It makes logical sense that you need to backstop that with as many middle to long relief options as possible. Even you know with your best starters in Verlander and Granke, you need to fill those innings. Whereas, I mean, I'm looking at these other guys, the young guys. You know, Abraham Toro, fine, maybe a decent prospect, but it doesn't seem like they have a budding star in that mix, and they're loaded when it comes to the infield and the outfield, assuming health. So it just makes logical sense that you would have more pitchers fill this out as opposed to hitters because they theoretically should be good when it comes to the to the to the lineup and just the position players yeah if everyone's healthy what's the benefit to carrying abraham toro 
Like you're gonna bench yeah, Alex Bregman. Like you're gonna bench <laughs> yeah. Carlos Correa. Like it just it, if everyone's healthy, you're you're fine on position players in a sixty game season. You're gonna lean on your stars a lot. Um, I had one baseball person yesterday I spoke to who said he thinks like the the teams that will you know come out on top are the ones with the young superstars who will stay healthy and post up every single game. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. I think. Um, you know, I, th- I think the Astros, you could argue whether some of their stars are still young and, and some of them are, 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 you know, getting up there a little bit relatively uh, into their 30s. But, um, you know, the, the teams that have get the most out of their stars in those 60 games, um, you know, the highest war, for example, uh, in one way to look at it, um, I think will be the best off. So when when he says Jake... Uh, that the teams best equipped to win are teams of the young superstars who will play every day. What is he juxtaposing with juxtaposing that kind of team with it? Like, is it, is it a team that's built with a bunch of like guys on the other side of 30 who they're relying on, who are their big stars? Is that the impression that you got? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. I, like the, the first name that came to mind when he said that was like the Braves, like Ronald Acuna is like the prototypical young star or, Yep. Uh, the Nationals with Juan Soto like that. And I, I think Alex Bregman still fits as young. Uh, I think Carlos Correa still fits as young. Uh, Altuve and Springer being being 30 or older, maybe not. But um, yeah, I mean, it's really going to come down to who posts and who plays every day. And a lot of that's out of your control right now. Yes. Um, but that's probably what's going to determine who wins is, is um, you know, how much value are you getting out of your best players? And it sounds even too simple to say out loud some, in a way, but I think that's that's what's really going to to determine uh, who does well this year. Number four, the five biggest questions facing the Astros ahead of this uh, hopefully 60 game season. Which prospects could we see actually play roles? Now, Jake, you listed um, Jose Urquidy. Brian Abreu and Abraham Toro as kind of your answers. These are guys we've all seen, you know, some more than others, especially Urquidy, who we saw in the playoffs and during the World Series, who people are very familiar with. Um, But it seems like those are the guys in the prospect category that are most likely to make some sort of impact. I think especially the, the pitchers for obvious reasons. Yeah. So unlike other teams where they're closer to like rebuilding or more in the middle, class. I don't think the Astros are going to have a ton of prospect contributions in this sprint of a season. Um, It's just like, first of all, if you're not on the 40-man roster, the rules still apply where you have to be added to the 40-man roster to be added to the active roster. That rule is still there. So that that will impact anyone not on the 40-man roster. Um you maybe see Christian Javier, who's on the forty-man roster, if if they need pitchers, and he's he was pretty much on the cusp coming into the regular season when before the pandemic. Um, but I, I don't think you're going to see a ton of prospect contributions um, on the active roster, just because of where the Astros are and their cycle and their farm system's not as good as it used to be. Yeah, so tell me this. So you brought up a good point. The 40-man roster rule remains the same. So basically, anybody who's on the Major League roster has to be plucked from the 40-man roster. Do you think, and I understand that that's for competitive balance reasons across the league, in a pandemic where we have no idea what the testing is going to, well, we know what the testing is going to be like. We don't know what the results are going to be. 
Do you do you think it makes sense, Jake, if they were to liberalize those rules? Um, I'm trying to think of the right words to to kind of explain it. But like if you have all of a sudden like a couple of guys, I mean, would it make sense for 2020 to to think about changing that rule? Or do you think that does not make sense? No, I think that makes sense. Um, What if you have 10 players? I think they need to be as flexible as possible. Yeah, I mean, the Phillies yeah. had how many players test positive in in an individualized spring training setting. So, what if you what if a team has ten players test positive in the season, and yes, you don't have an, you don't because of injuries you don't have enough players. So, yeah, I think they'll they'll have to be some kind of mechanism there. Um, I haven't heard of that yet. I'm sure they're probably working on that, like hypothetical. But uh, yeah, it's a good point. I hadn't really considered until you brought it up. I just think flexibility is the operative word. Like, you don't want teams cutting players or making big roster decisions based on hopefully temporary, you know, virus situations. I, I just think flexibility is the name of the game. I, I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with that moving forward. Just something to kind of uh, keep your eye on. I, I ultimately agree with your takeaway. If the Astros have health, and that's going to be a, a key thing for any team this season, given everything going on. I don't see other than, you know, some pitchers here and there, the prospects making, you know, a huge difference. I think if you see more of these guys, it's probably more bad news for the Astros than yeah. good news. It probably means Final. they're out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it probably means they're out yeah, of it. It's probably because they're out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Number five, who is going to be on the taxi squad? So you've got 30 guys playing on the big club. You've got these other guys, these other 30 guys who will be training somewhere in Houston. And Jake, I think you reported that these guys are going to be at the University of Houston. Is that correct? Yeah. As of Wednesday, I was told the alternate training site is likely to be the University of Houston, um, which is very close to Minute Maid Park, obviously. So that makes sense. Uh, yes. And yeah, as far as who is on it, I, I mean, so how it works is each team is going to submit a 60 player pool um, ahead of next week. And those are the 60 players who are in spring training. And then from that, you decide your 30 man roster. The rest of the guys go to the alternate training site to be a taxi squad. And on the road, I think you can bring up to three taxi squad guys um, per trip is what I read. So it's interesting to see how teams are going to do it. Some some are theorizing that teams who are more in the rebuilding mode would just load up all of their prospects in the taxi squad um, yep. under the assumption that all of their best prospects under the assumption that that's the only way they're going to get in-person coaching and development this year exactly. and that they won't be needed in the majors. It's a little dangerous because what if you do need them in the majors? Um, like we just talked about, what if there's a rash, an outbreak um, or a rash of injuries? But I don't know if you saw this, but I, I, but this is a little little random too. So in Russia, which I'm sure is doing a wonderful job of handling COVID-19, they had some fiasco without getting into the details where in, I think their top soccer league, they ultimately had like a, a crew of like, kids who are in high school i don't even know if they actually go to high school but it's like they had literally like teenagers playing against an adult so like a, a professional soccer team is what they had in russia like they actually and i think they ended up losing like seven or eight to nothing well i would read a story about that and i don't like soccer <laughs> exactly yeah i mean like <laughs> if you're the tigers you probably put spencer torkelson the number one pick from two weeks ago on your on your squad just to get experience and 
yeah. think this is even more important for the 2019 draftees who have, who were just getting their first cup of coffee and and now might lose a year. So you could see, I mean, should the Astros consider carrying Corey Lee, uh, their catcher from last year, last year's draft? I mean, I think you could see some of that around the game. Um, but ultimately, like, I think it's going to end up looking more for the Astros, like the Round Rock Express. Um, you know, a lot of, like, uh, the Jack Mayfields, uh, Taylor Jones of the world, um, Nick Tantalou, Jimmy Ritchie, th- those type of guys. Uh, I think you'll see Forrest Whitley there. Um, you know, Christian Javier probably starts there. Um, but, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it goes and and. You know, it's like a whole nother thing to for the teams to worry about because, you know, they have to implement the safe health and safety protocols at these other locations, too. Exactly. Yes, because you can't have, you know, these guys being brought up and also having COVID-19. I'm wondering with this taxi squad, do we have a sense, Jake, for let's say it's at U of H. Do we know what these guys are going to be doing on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Are they going to be playing actual? I imagine like, are they going to be playing actual games against each other? Because I figure, you know, the pitchers especially would need to be in a situation where they're facing hitters uh, on an every couple of day basis in order for them to actually be ready. Should they get the call up to the major leagues? You know, I don't know about games per se, but maybe live batting practice. Um it almost serves the same purpose in some ways because okay. if the purpose is for pitchers to get um, to throw to hitters in the box, I mean, a live batting practice serves that purpose. I mean, the Astros, even in minor league spring training in recent years, have cut down on the amount of games they play. They, you know, a lot of teams have gone more towards just like instruction being the more valuable thing than games. Um, so I don't know about games. I could see it just being kind of like a pre-game in triple a like you do infield you take outfield you throw your bullpen session you take batting practice um just kind of stay fresh uh because presumably the pitchers would have just faced hitters in in the spring training part two um and they could do live bps to face more hitters so yeah i don't i, I don't know it'll definitely vary by team but i, I don't know about games per se Am I the only one who I, I am fascinated by this, Jake, because I'm listening to, to you explain this and it, it makes sense. And yet then I'm thinking like you'd be bringing up pitchers who I, I know they're in shape. I know they're throwing hard, but all they're basically doing, you know, at the University of Houston campus is, is throwing batting practice to dudes. And then the hitters are not playing in real games. They're just taking batting practice and hitting in the cage and, and doing whatever. I, I have to imagine it, it's it's pretty unprecedented to have this kind of gap between the people who are in training to the people who are doing it professionally and yet these guys in training can be called up and then be thrown into the fire essentially on any day's notice more than that though like i really envision like how many games are they realistically going to play in the quote-unquote major league spring training part two um yeah like it might be the same for that, like in terms of live BPs and that kind of stuff. And like you could see the Good point. you could see the hitters being really bad the first couple of weeks of the season in that scenario, right? Like they're they're going to be behind the, hit, the hitters are always behind the pitchers coming out of the gate, and it could be even more pronounced in this situation. Um, I just I, I like if you're a hitter right now, I don't know how you can really be comfortable that you're ready after just doing live BPs with no games, um, but. Maybe they're, they're the best of the best of this for a reason. So maybe I'm 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 wrong on that. Maybe they're 
they'll be just fine. I don't know. I, I, I think I saw it somewhere on my feed come across the last 48 hours. Can, can these teams in Spring Training 2.0, Jake, have like up to three exhibition games? Do you, do you know if that's correct? I think some of that's in flux, but maybe. I haven't read up totally on that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I it's, it's possible. I, I think you're going to see a lot of... It seems unlikely. A lot of reliance <laughs> on the uh, pitching machines that they have now that throw really hard and even like can spin breaking balls. I think players are going to the hitters are going to rely heavily on on those in the cages well we'll see what it what it looks like here coming up on july 23rd slash 24th which is as of as of our recording today is less than a month away so those are the five biggest questions facing the astros ahead of this season is everyone healthy who makes up the rotation who gets the extra roster spots which prospects can we see and who is going to be on the taxi squad? Jake, uh, since we have a group text uh, on this Crawford Talks podcast, which I'm sure would be entertaining uh, for the masses, one thing that we have learned about you in the last week or so, you are not big on, I think this has been one of the things you've been most passionate about. You you do not <laughs> like this whole 60-game sample size. Like, let's take a look at what, you know, the Astros did last year. We've talked about this a little bit. I think just to give people, people just kind of a sense of, like, what actually happened last year. Uh, but you're not big on, like, okay, let's take 60-game sample sizes of the last couple of years or last year and extrapolate that to whatever, we're gonna hell, whatever the hell we're going to see in the next month or so. Yeah, I mean, this is going to come off as like a subtweet to beat writers everywhere, but like <laughs> what your team, what the team you cover uh, did in the first 60 games in 1994 has no bearing on what they did in the first, will do in the first 60 games of 2020, like zero. And I've saw a lot of like year by year, here's the so-and-so team's record through 60 games. Like it literally is irrelevant. Like it does not matter. Even if you look at the 2019 Astros, Say you wanted to throw their record out there through 60 games. Well, they had a better roster last year, so it's different this year. <laughs> like, it, it's yes. not, none of it matters, especially in this situation. It's a brand new season. It's an, uh, you know, unique circumstance to say the least. So I am out on uh, drawing any conclusions from any previous 60 game sample size as meaning anything for this year's 60 game sample size. I think the best way to use it is to kind of get a feeling of, okay, what this might sound really basic, but what does a sixty-game sample look like? You know, I, the, for example, uh, when we talked a few weeks ago about the Astros' twenty nineteen season, based on the FanGraphs article uh, that you and I both read. Okay, let's break this. They broke the season down into like five different sixty-game samples, and it was helpful for me not because I can look at that and say, oh, well, they did this last year. Now it's going to mean you know why for twenty twenty, especially given how weird the season is. It was more just like, okay, let's take a team that was the best in its league in one season, what did they do among the sample sizes? Like, was there a ton of variance for the Astros? There really wasn't much. But that's where it's kind of like most helpful for me is to kind of see, okay, let's take a really bad team in Major League Baseball. What's their best 60-game sample size? Just to kind of get me ready for you know, maybe one or two teams in 2020 that we expect to be very bad, what's the most they can do? Uh, we're not going to have expanded playoffs, but in a 60-game sample size, could a really bad team have a decent 60-game stretch where they're in it almost the whole time? That's where I find it the most helpful, just to give me a feeling of what 60 games actually means as opposed to using the information and then extrapolating it and making predictions on what's going to happen this year. 
That's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, you look at last year, the Tigers and the Nationals had a similar start through 60 games, exactly. right? Or maybe it was less than 60, but somewhere in that range. And the Mariners were 13-2 and two at one point, I believe. So, like, yeah, I mean, that that, that happens. Um, and that, I guess that's helpful in some ways. But I just, like, I think, like, even if you said, like, oh, the Tigers had this start last year, uh, so that's what it means for this year. Like, their team's different this year. Their opponents are different this year. The situation's different this year. Um, there's no fans in the stands. Like, I think everything's so different. It just is not it, – it's irrelevant. So I, I that's what, what I was a little uh, – I don't know if even bothered is the right word because I'm not sure I really care. But um, <laughs> hey, we, we like we like rants on this podcast, so that's mine. We do, we do like rants. Jake, you wrote about so the Athletics doing a series on what ifs, and you wrote a big Astros what if the last couple of years. What if the Astros had re-signed Charlie Morton after the 2018 season? I did. Yeah, every Wednesday, if you look at our site. Uh, we have a new what-if story from one of our writers. We picked the dates before the season, before the March 26th season was supposed to start. And I just had the lucky fortune of of picking the week that baseball returned, um, you know, the week of June 22nd. So kind of weird timing to run, to to, uh, rain on everyone, all the Astros fans parade. Um, But yeah, it was fun to look back at it like, um, you know, what if uh, they had re-signed Charlie Morton? I think there's so many different ripple effects of it. Um, do they win last year? Do they make the trade for Greinke? Do they re- do they make the Brantley signing? And it was it was fun to explore and talk to people about. Um, and I, I think I think the readers who have read it so far, I've gotten some positive feedback about it. So hopefully everyone checks that out and. Also, with all this new stuff and new rules and new everything uh, for this season, uh, I'm going to do a mailbag next week. I just posted on Thursday morning the little portal where you can ask questions on the Athletics website. So if you have any questions um, and there are no such thing as stupid questions, please jump on there and, and ask them. And I will do my best to answer as many as I can for a mailbag column that will go up uh, hopefully early next week. So make sure you ask Jake the mailbag questions. And as Jake mentioned, there are a lot of bizarre wrinkles in this 2020 season, uh, including the fact that extra inning games are going to start with a runner on second base, which I know they've done in the minor leagues. I hate that uh, for a little bit here. Yeah. You know, what's funny. Um, uh, I, I was listening to Chris Bad Dog Russo talk about this this week, and he's like an old school baseball historian type. And he actually didn't mind it, which kind of shocked me. Uh, I have to... This is one of those, again, I don't love it, Jake, because it's it feels gimmicky and weird, but I, I hate to like give a non-take, but I kind of want to see, like, I, here's my initial take. It doesn't feel right to me, but I want to see how I feel when I first see it, because I've never watched a baseball game and seen that happen, so I want to see what my sense is when I actually see that in an actual game. I've seen it, and honestly, at a minor league game, I'm ready to go home anyway most of the time, so it's fine, but in a major league game... Um yeah, I mean, I get it for this year, right? Everything's different. You're trying to limit exposure. You're trying to limit time together. Yep. I get it for this year. I just, I just, uh, in terms of like in a vacuum, the rule itself and going forward when times are normal again and we we have a vaccine and we're not uh, in a pandemic, I, I hope that they go back to the normal uh, extra inning rules of just playing it out and see who wins. Yeah, I'm in a state where my... 
my sports integrity gene feels like, eh, this is a little bit too far outside the box. And yet, but the part of me that likes experimentation and fun, I'm kind of like, eh, let's, let me, let me actually see how this goes before I give you a, a firm grade. But obviously the Astros, I'm sure will. You're being will. way too rational today. My, all right, I'll try to be less rational on Monday. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There, there is a strong part of me that, that's like, I, I want to see what this is like. I want to see a tightly contested game that's tied after nine innings and what my feeling is going to be when I see some random guy on second base and see what I think about that. Yeah. That's kind of my thought process right okay. now. We'll see. We'll see. We're going to have a lot of, a lot of lot to talk about this this year on the podcast for sure. We shall. Absolutely. So he is Jay Kaplan again. Make sure you check out his articles this week. The five biggest questions facing the Astros ahead of this 60 game season. What if on re-signing Charlie Morton and damn it, send in your mailback questions to Jake for uh, his column, which will come out hopefully early next week. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic.